Welcome to the New Life Podcast. We are a church in Milton Keynes that seeks to love God, love people, and make disciples of all nations. We're so glad you're here. Happy New Year. How are you all doing? Made it through Christmas. Anyone going back to work for a rest? Anyone? Yeah, I wish. <laughs> um, I like growth problems, good problems. We had some of those over Christmas, as Steve has just said. Uh, our first carol service, our, what time was it, 3.30? Uh, we actually had to turn people away at the door um, because we were at capacity and it w- would have been unsafe and not legal for us to keep bringing more people in. So fortunately, we had a second service to welcome people to. Um, and the crossover service, New Year's Eve, uh, the most people we've ever had a crossover service, and again, we were very close to having to turn people away uh, just because of fire regulations and all of that exciting stuff. So th- these are good problems to have. So next year, I don't know if we're going to do, I, I don't know whether we'll ticket it, but maybe you want to think about getting those tickets really early so you don't miss out. I don't know, don't know how that works, but we're going to need to figure out a plan, but praise God that we've got these kind of problems. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, can I be honest with you this morning? I'm nervous. It's not unusual for me to be a little nervous before preaching. Um, uh, I think that's a, that's a right uh, attitude to have. This is the word of God uh, we're, we're bringing and we're opening this morning. Um, but, but I think there's just something about we've been um, leading up to this moment, uh, kicking off this uh, mega um, sermon series, which is actually going to take us all the way through to the end of July, Okay, someone said in the prayer meeting, this is a long sermon series. Hopefully you won't be saying that at the end of July. That was a long sermon series. Hopefully it will be in a positive way. But this, this series is all about discipleship. And we feel like this is the thing that God has called us to do. This is the thing, discipleship. If we're not doing discipleship, we're, we're playing games and we're playing the wrong games. So this is, this is with, with great joy, but also a measure of kind of weightiness and seriousness. I, I, I kick off a series this morning that's going to hopefully change us from the inside out and get us moving in a direction that, that the Lord set us out on in Matthew 28 when he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Amen. And so I want to invite you, I want to encourage you to open up your heart and just be willing to be challenged in the Christian life uh, for it not to just be the same again this year. Or the same again that we've had the past number of years. God, uh, I was going to say God is doing a new thing. God wrote this in his word, so it's not new to him. (laughs) But for me, it's taken me a little while to to really take this uh, commission seriously. Go and make disciples of all nations. God didn't say go and make church. I love church. Church is super important, but he didn't say that. He actually said, I will build the church. Jesus, I will build the church. Our job is to make disciples. So I, I'm, I'm nervous. And uh, it's, I, don't know, I don't think it's any coincidence that my daughter woke up at 4 a.m. this morning and didn't go back to sleep. I tried to get a bit of sleep again, uh, and something weird happened to my alarm, which means I massively slept in, rushed out the door, left my notes at home. Uh, I, so I have to thank my wife for driving all the way back home at 9 o'clock this morning and all the way back. It's a 45-minute round journey to go and get my notes so that I've got a message for you this morning so I don't just ramble. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Maggie. Uh, What a hero you've saved us all from rambling. And in that spirit of things, I'm not going to ramble any longer, and we're going to kick off. And now, the end is near. And so I face the final curtain 
My friends, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I am certain. I've lived a life that's full. I traveled each and every highway and more, much more than this. Anyone know the next line? I did it my way. Frankie boy, otherwise known as Frank Sinatra. This is the first verse of the famous song, My Way, sung most notably by Frank Sinatra. And this song, published in 1969, has remained an anthem for the generations. And only recently has it been toppled as the number one song played at funerals. For many years, this song has been chosen to represent the way that people have lived their lives. The last memory they and their families want is for all to know that they did things their way. I wonder... Not meaning to start off in a morbid way this year, but what song would you pick to play at your funeral, to sum up your life? How do you want to be remembered? What song best sums you up? Maybe you want to be remembered for making a difference in the world. Maybe you want to be known for loving others well. Frank Sinatra himself said, I want to be remembered as a man who had a wonderful time living life, a man who had good friends, fine family, and I don't think I could ask for anything more than that, actually. Maybe that resonates with you. But what if, as Christians, uh, the anthem of our lives was not, I did it my way, but I did it his way? I followed his way, not my will, but his will done in my life. And at the end of it all, to hear the words of God spoken over us, well done, good and faithful servant. Does that resonate with anyone? You know, Jesus lived a pretty incredible life, didn't he? But right at the end of his life, he cries out to the Father. He says, not my will, but yours be done. You see, he knew uh, what he was sent to earth for. He knew that he was marching a 33-year journey to the cross. Yet just before he went through the cross, he said, I'd, I'd really rather not take this cup, but if it's your will, I'll do it. You see, for Jesus, even Jesus, the Son of God, it was the Father's way, not his. And I wonder if we could say that about our lives. And sometimes it, it is painful. Sometimes it is difficult. But could we say, Father, not my will, but yours. Not mine, but yours. I did it your way, not mine. You see, if you're a Christian, if you're sat here this morning, and you're a Christian, if Jesus is the, your Lord and Savior, the driving purpose of your life is not to live according to your own way, but to live according to his. Did you know early believers were often referred to as followers of the way? You can see this in Acts in chapter 9, 19, 22, 24. Um, there are many places where believers, early Christians, are referred to as followers of the way. What earned them this name was not necessarily what they believed, but how they lived their lives. Their lives were set apart and given over to following Jesus, who in John 14, 6 declared, I am the way, the truth and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's a radical statement. Jesus is the way. 
This is one of the central claims of the gospel. And the Christian faith is unique in stating that there is one God, not many, one. And there is only one way to God, not many. And that way to God is not through our works. It can't be earned by being good or by being kind or living a moral life. We know many of us, Romans chapter 3 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, every single one of us. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This is not our doing. This is not our works. This is not our faith. It's his. It's not our life. It's his. This is really important for us because without this understanding, our next couple of months could be quite painful. So we need to get on the same page with this this morning. There is only one God represented in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. There is no other God. There is no other way to God than through Jesus Christ. That's a really unpopular opinion right now. Chat to people. There are many ways to God. This faith or that faith. Doing this well, living a good life, not doing anything majorly wrong. Many people's opinions. And this isn't out of arrogance. Actually, this should bring great uh, humility to us and a, great, uh, and a deep grief because we realize that we've got, we've got uh, uh, the, the world's best kept secret. That there is a way to God. There is a way to relationship with God. There is a way to a fruitful life. And that's through Jesus and through Jesus only. Amen. If that's difficult for you, I just want to humbly invite you to come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of the leaders, anyone you've seen on the stage. Talk to Steve, Sharon, anyone that you see. Because that's the fundamental thing that set, sets us apart from the rest of the world. That We say yes to Jesus and recognize that he is Lord, he is Savior, and he is the only way. Amen? So today we embark on a major new teaching series together. One that will take us all the way up to the summer with a couple of short interludes, mind. And our goal with this series is to recapture together the heart of a life dedicated to following Jesus and living out his teachings that we might be known, not just for what we believe, but by how we live as disciples of Jesus, as followers of the way. So if we're to be followers of the way, disciples of Jesus, what does that look like? How do we sum up a life lived following the way? Well, I believe we can summarize this life by following three things, or by the following three things. Firstly, it involves being with Jesus. Secondly, it involves becoming like Jesus. And thirdly, it's about doing the things that Jesus did. This is the life of a disciple, a follower of the way. And I hope it's okay to say this again and just to highlight, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. The late American baseball player come evangelist, Billy Sunday, a rather appropriate name, isn't it? Once said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you an automobile. It's quite good that, isn't it? He had a real way with words. And if you ever have time, read some of the things that Billy Sunday said. Here are a couple of more for you. Um, he said, uh, one reason sin flourishes is that it is treated like a cream puff instead of a rattlesnake. It's good, that, isn't it? Another thing he said, being a king, an emperor, or a president is mighty small potatoes. That's a phrase we need to bring back. I think mighty small potatoes compared to being a mother. 
Commanding an army is little more than sweeping a street compared with training a boy or girl. The mother of Moses did more for the world than all the kinds that Egypt ever had. Oh, you wait until you reach the mountains of eternity, then read the mother's names in God's hall of fame. One more for you. He said, listen, I'm against sin. I'll kick it as long as I've got a foot. I'll fight it as long as I've got a fist. I'll butt it as long as I've got a head. And I'll bite it as long as I've got a tooth. And when I'm old, fistless, footless, and toothless, I'll gum it till I go home to glory and it goes home to perdition. (laughs) Interesting guy, right? Some of you are thinking, yeah, I need to go and read some Billy Sunday. Anyway, back to my message. Look, how you engage with church is hugely significant but it's not the whole picture. So let's look together at what the life of a disciple is about. So our first priority is about learning to be with Jesus. That's our first priority. We've got a, uh, our, our vision statement, which you can, you can read on our website. We taught through it in the autumn, is to love God, love others, and make disciples of all nations. This is his first priority, to love God. We love him by being with him, being present to him. Because Christianity is not primarily a religion, it's a relationship. If it were a religion, it would be primarily focused on the things I do. Going to church, giving generously, serving others, being kind to others, earning my way towards favor with God by the way that I live. But that's not our reality, is it? Christianity is about knowing God and being known by him. It's about the work that Jesus did on the cross to make a way for us to be in intimate friendship with God. All the other things we do are as a response to what he has already done. The primary focus is Christ and what he has done to bring us into relationship with God, our Father. And so discipleship, and we'll look at this much more over the coming months, is about walking with Jesus. It's about a life lived in step with Jesus. Jesus has given us a great invitation. It's one he's been giving out for thousands of years now. And that's the invitation to follow him. So let's see for ourselves. If you've got Bibles, we're going to rapidly flick through some uh, scriptures. All of these ones are in the the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament, uh, one of the first four books of the New Testament. So quickly turn there to me, and we're going to start in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. If you don't have uh, physical or mobile Bibles with you, it will come up on the screen behind me. And it says this, Mark chapter 1, verse 16. It says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Flick over to Mark chapter 2, verse 13. It says this, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me. Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Flick over again to Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might, what, be with him 
and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. See, the call of Jesus was not to a particular belief system. It was not to attend church regularly. It was not, certainly not a free ticket to heaven. The call of Jesus was to follow him, to come and to be his disciples. The word disciple in Hebrew is tau midim. And I probably butchered the pronunciation of that. But this word, which we translate as disciple, can also be translated as follower or student or apprentice. It has at the heart of its meaning to follow closely, to live your life under the shadow of the one you are following. This idea of apprenticeship, being a student or follower, was not like our understanding of these terms. We commonly understand the word follower from the world of social media, don't we? We follow someone with interest, albeit from a distance. One of my greatest social media moments was when I uh, tweeted an ex-Everton football player who I just thought was just a really swell guy, and I got a retweet from him. He'd never met me, but I followed him, and I thought what he said was good, and so I, I messaged him, and he retweeted me, and I thought, I've made it. I'm known in the football world. Of course, I wasn't. But this is our understanding of following now. This is not what Jesus was talking about. We're not here to just like Jesus. Or our understanding of students from the classroom environment, where we turn up for a period of time to be lectured, or we take up a course to learn a particular topic. Much of our learning has gone online, hasn't it? Who's taken up a, an online course since the pandemic? Anyone studied anything or done it? No, this idea of Tao Medin, of discipleship, was a 24-7 commitment. In ancient times, you would follow your rabbi around from place to place. You would spend every waking moment with him. You would eat every meal at his side. You would sleep at his side. Let me tell you, there's no better way to get to know someone and understand someone than traveling with them. If you want to learn from someone, don't take them for coffee. Offer to serve them. Say, I'll walk with you. See, I spent a year interning for a traveling minister, a traveling preacher. I literally carried his bags. I drove the car. I ran his bookstore. The work wasn't glamorous, but you know what? I learned so much during that time. It was invaluable. It shaped who I am today. If you want to know what I'm like, ask EJ. He was on the drums here, sitting at the back here. He lived with me and my wife for how long was it? Three, four years? Some of those years were in the pandemic, so, uh, you know, difficult times. But he's seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. He lived with us. He ate with us. He had his own separate bedroom, praise God. So he didn't sleep alongside us. But but he saw every, he saw me early in the morning. He saw me late at night. He saw me when I was uh, happy and glad. He saw me when I was miserable. Uh, and he got to know me. So maybe you want to ask EJ, what's Tim like? EJ, I'll pay you later for the good reviews. <laughs> and there was this well-known Hebrew blessing in the first century, which went like this. It said, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Because your learning and your apprenticeship wasn't done remotely or in a classroom. It was done on the road, on the go. Your rabbi would walk slowly and you along with other disciples would follow closely behind as he taught you. 
He would ask you questions. You would ask him questions. This conversation would go back and forth. You would know you were walking closely with your rabbi because you would literally be covered in the dust of his footsteps. Note the picture uh, uh, for our sermon series. The feet of, it's, it's not literally the feet of Jesus. This is obviously someone pretending to be Jesus. That would have been clever to capture a picture back then. But it's this idea of being covered in the dust of our rabbi. This is what it means to follow him. Christian teacher and author Dallas Willard said, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. King David knew this secret and he wrote, I keep the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure, Psalm 16. This is the fundamental secret, he continues, of caring for our souls. Our part in this practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God, he says. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. Soon, our minds will return to God as, as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north, no matter how the compass is moved. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. So being a disciple of Jesus is about a lifelong journey of learning to be with him and to walk with him. I wonder, do you want to take this journey this year? Do you want to take this journey? Do you want to walk with him, learn to walk in step with Jesus? Do you want to be covered in the dust of your rabbi, your great teacher, Jesus? So if our first priority is being with Jesus, there's a natural cause and effect that happens is that we become like Jesus. When we make that a priority in our lives, we begin to look and sound like Jesus. And that's the second part of what it means to be a disciple. As we walk with him, we become like him. The book of 1 John chapter 2 verse 6 says, he who says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way as he walked. The point of the Christian life is to walk as he walked. That's our response of love to all that he did for us. You see, we give our lives to the one who gave up his life for us. Here is God's desire for you laid out in scripture. You ready? Romans 8, verse 29. It says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image, made into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. There it is. Become like Jesus. Be conformed to him as an image. Does anyone know what the preceding verse is? Verse 28. Does anyone, can anyone quote that to me? I had no idea what you said. I'm sure you've all got it right. Verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God works all things for the good of those who love him. To what end? In order that we might be conformed into his likeness, verse 29. 
because he loves us. God's good purpose is to make us like Christ. So we, love, we love in Christian circles to quote verse 28. Don't we? God works, particularly defiantly, if we've had a tough time, a tough year, God works all things for the good of those who love him. And it's a good declaration to make. But we must understand the purpose and the end to that uh, uh, work in all things for the good of those who love him. It's to make us like Jesus. See, he uses all of these experiences, all of these journeys in life to make us like the Son. That's the whole purpose of God, is to make us like Jesus, smell like Jesus, look like Jesus, walk like Jesus. Let's take a look at another example. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, it says, And we all, say we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate or reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed, there's that word, transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Apostle Paul, writing to the young church in Galatia, says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is what? Formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Imagine if I started a sermon like that. Guys, I am perplexed about you. Fortunately, I'm not. You guys are wonderful. But Paul's challenging the Christians here because they had believed a distorted gospel whereby they thought that salvation was earned through works according to the law rather than the free gift of grace. And Paul says to them, my aim and my reason for going through what feels like birthing pains trying to teach you this is that I long for Jesus to be formed in you. This is the purpose of the Christian life. Do you want one more example? Yes? No? You're getting it anyway. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to what? Be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Again, the Apostle Paul, now writing to the church in Ephesus, encourages each believer to put off their old selves and put on their new self, which is their new nature, which centers around being like God in righteousness and holiness. That sounds like a good life to live, doesn't it? Amen, the two of you that responded there. Wonderful. The late English vicar and author John Stott said this about Romans 8.29. He said, Uh, That passage reads that God has predestined his people to be conformed to the image of his son, that is to become like Jesus. We all know that when Adam fell, he lost much, though not all, of the divine image in which he had been created. But God has restored it in Christ. Conformity to the image of God means to become like Jesus. Christ-likeness is the eternal predestinating purpose of God. Jesus said, the the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Friends, that the heart and soul of discipleship, this journey that we're looking to go on together, was to become like our teacher, Jesus. And how does this happen? Romans 12, 2 tells us, do not conform to the pattern or practice of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. As we talk with Jesus, 
walk with him, observing him closely, learning from him through reading the Bible and spending time in his presence. How we think is challenged. Our minds and our thinking are renewed and what we believe begins to shape the way that we live. We're transformed as our minds are renewed and we become what we behold. Who are you beholding this year? And lastly, We've said that discipleship is about being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus. But he also gave us some things to be getting on with. And so thirdly, discipleship is about doing the things that Jesus did. And this is a shorter part of my sermon. So we're, we're coming into land. And it says this. And so as we prioritize being with Jesus, we become like him. And as we become like him, we're then charged to do the very things that he did. You see, in my case, I didn't stay an intern forever. That would have been miserable because I didn't get paid at all for that, and so I'd be a very poor person right now. I didn't stay an intern forever. There was a moment where I had to start putting, it, putting into action all that I had learned and start to live it out. Jesus makes this extraordinary claim in the Gospel of John, John chapter 14, 12 to 14. I'd encourage you, actually, uh, I've spent the past week uh, living in this chapter, John 14, and I want to encourage you to do the same. The richness of, uh, uh, just the richness in in this chapter is just phenomenal. But he says this, uh, 12 to 14, says, Very truly I tell you, whoever, say whoever, believes in me, will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that my Father may be glorified. Notice here, Jesus doesn't say the church pastor will do the works I have been doing. He didn't say the specially anointed evangelist will do the works I have been doing. No, he says, whoever believes in me. Let me tell you, if you believe in Jesus... If you've chosen to follow him, these works that Jesus has done are for you to do. And just for context, what had Jesus done at this point when he said all these things? Well, here's a list. Jesus had turned water into wine. He had read the mind of the woman in Samaria. He'd healed the official son. He'd healed the man crippled for 38 years. He had fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Some of you feel like that was your Christmas. He'd walked on water. He had healed a man born blind. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have done. Friends, these works are for you and me. Sometimes we limit ourselves and we limit Christianity to turning up at church, going to a small group, giving generously, all these things that we've been talking about. These are the works that Jesus longs for you to do. We we spend time with him. We be with him. We become like him. And then we do the things he did. By the way, he also said you will do greater things than these as well. But that's a whole other sermon series. Maybe we'll take the whole of next year to look at that. I don't know. Is that daunting for you? Does that sound like a lot? Well, let me finish up with some good news. William Temple, Archbishop in the late 1940s, used to illustrate this point from Shakespeare. He says, it's no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it, I can't. And it's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. 
Jesus could do it, I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like this. And if the spirit of God could come into me, then I could live a life like his. Friends, it's not about our works and efforts. It's about the spirit of God that lives inside you. If you believe in Jesus, you have the spirit and who enables you to do these things. What is daunting is not daunting because it's him who does it in us. We just have to say yes. We just have to start the journey. We just have to follow in his footsteps. And those things start to become the habits and the patterns of our lives. That is discipleship. So actually, what I've explained in a rather complex way is rather simple. Walk with him. Walk with him slowly, one step at a time, until you are covered head to toe in the dust of your rabbi. This is our aim. This is what we want to be remembered for. Those that didn't just believe in Jesus, but lived like Jesus, so that the world would say, this person walks differently. This is why we're spending 22 plus weeks in this sermon series, because this is the main thing. Let me leave you with the charge from Matthew 28. The words of Jesus that said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And again, because he thinks that maybe that sounds a bit daunting, here's his reassurance. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message. If you'd like to connect with us or find out more about New Life Church, visit our website at newlifechurchmilkandkeens.org.